When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to The Real Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. In recent months, as the war in Ukraine has waged on, Vladimir Putin has had by his side the steadfast support of a fierce ally, a man by the name of Ramzan Kadyrov. Kadyrov, if you're not familiar, is a notorious dictator in the Russian Republic of Chechnya, where he rules over a personal fiefdom buoyed by a strange mix of power, politics, and sport. Because while Kadyrov's soldiers have taken to the battlefield in Ukraine, many of them have also been fighting in a different arena, in the Octagon, for Kadyrov's own mixed martial arts club. We first covered this subject in 2017, when our David Scott traveled to Chechnya to meet Kadyrov and get an up-close look at his burgeoning MMA experiment. On this podcast, you'll hear that report about how Kadyrov is using his fight club not only to breed champions, but as an apparatus of power, building up his military ranks for conflicts abroad and carrying out alleged human rights abuses at home. After the story, we'll be joined by Karim Zidane, a journalist who has reported extensively on both Kadyrov's military and mixed martial arts endeavors to discuss how MMA remains at the core of Chechnya's identity in the midst of a violent war. But first, here's David Scott's 2017 report. It's MMA fight night in Grozny, the capital of Chechnya, a Muslim republic in the vast Russian Federation, a kind of country within a country. The Colosseum is packed with men and boys, gathered for a night of flag-waving and cage-fighting that has become Chechnya's national pastime. The men on the dais are the most powerful in the republic, rallying the crowd. The ones in the cage are fighting to test their mettle and entertain their fans. But this MMA tournament is unlike any other in the world, because the guy who runs the show also rules the land. He's the most unlikely of all sports titans, Chechnya's military dictator, Ramzan Kadyrov. We will bring all your belts from America back to Grozny. Our motto is, death is better than second place. Kadyrov has built an empire of mixed martial arts in Chechnya. And in true dictator fashion, he now wants to take over the world of MMA. 
His strategy? To build great warriors inside the octagon out of men who've grown up fighting outside of it. And nowhere do men grow up fighting like they do in Chechnya, a republic that's known little other than violence and war for hundreds of years. I want to show the world that we have the best fighters. One fighter told us that you simply cannot be a proper Chechen man if you can't fight. Is that fair? Is that true? This is how they teach us from childhood. My father told me when I was a little boy, if you are coming home because you got scared, don't come home. I have no need for you. You are not a girl. You are a man. While a Jewish parent might say to their child, you'll be a professor, a scientist. Here our parents say, he's going to be a warrior. But if that mentality has made Kadyrov a kingpin of MMA, critics say it has also made him a dangerous man, that he's just as aggressive and ruthless with his foes outside the arena, when it's no longer just fun and games. The only law that exists in Chechnya is the order of Kadyrov, and he wants to be the only person in Chechnya who decides everything. The way you dress, the way you think, the way you pray. This guy wants to, to, to be a god for Chechens. Elena Milashina has reported on Kadyrov's republic for the last 11 years for Russia's leading independent newspaper, Novaya Gazeta. Is there any opposition, any dissent tolerated in Kadyrov's Chechnya? In Chechnya, no. So if he wants someone to disappear... Yeah, easy. ...they disappear. If he wants someone dead, they end up dead? Yes. People like Anna Politkovskaya, who covered Chechnya for Novaya Gazeta before Milashina and was the first reporter to write critically about Kadyrov. She wasn't afraid of him. She didn't respect him. She saw him as a bandit. As a bandit? Yes, because he participated in many... Uh, killings, and Anna was writing about those cases. And this behavior was insulting for Kadyrov. And I was told many times that this information that is published in Nova Gazeta made him crazy. At least it did, until Politkovskaya was gunned down in a Moscow apartment building by four Chechens. Milashina then picked up where her fallen colleague left off. And in so doing, you've made yourself a target. Right. Well, yes. And if something happened with me, there will be another journalist who will continue right. my work in Chechnya. Uh, always. Kadyrov denies any involvement in the murder. But like many dictators, he has long shown open disdain for journalists. In fact, Kadyrov hadn't given an interview to a Western reporter in years until he recently agreed to meet real sports. And even then, it wasn't easy to get to him. It took two trips to Grozny and 10 days waiting for him to summon us. Finally, it happened. One night, we were brought to his private soccer field on the palace grounds. There, we found the head of the Republic playing striker. Then, shortly before 2 a.m., he joined us in this stateroom. And beneath giant portraits of his heroes, Vladimir Putin and his father, 
We asked the president about the abuses alleged by his critics. The people who do this, I can't even call them people. Only devils could think up such things. But you are on your second visit here. It should be clear to you that this is a completely democratic republic. There is freedom of speech, the people are happy. Absolutely everything they say about us is nonsense. Whether Kadyrov's Chechnya is free may be open to debate, but this much is not. It was built through violence and bloodshed. The Muslim-dominated republic has been fighting battles for generations to free itself from Russian rule. The latest series of revolts began in the 1990s and were led by Kadyrov's father, Ahmad Kadyrov. Until, that is, the elder Kadyrov agreed to switch sides and align with the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. That's when he and his son Ramzan went from leading the Chechen rebels to slaughtering them. You were a teenager, I believe, when you followed your father into battle. Yes, I've been fighting since I was 15. I know what war is. I'm an excellent soldier and a good strategist. I love to fight. I was born and raised in war. To die in battle would be my greatest joy. Then his father did just that. Ahmad Kadyrov was assassinated in 2004, and young Ramzan took the throne. With billions of dollars from the Kremlin, Kadyrov built a police and military state and set out to pacify his republic, crushing any opposition and rebuilding his war-torn capital as his own fiefdom. Then Kadyrov turned to sport, the one sport that taps directly into Chechnya's long martial history and created a unique professional fight club named in honor of his martyred father, Akhmat MMA. What is the purpose of Akhmat MMA? Sooner or later, I think we will prove we have the best fighters. In his plan to become an MMA kingpin, Kadyrov has a special edge over the competition. All of his young fighters were raised and steeled in war. The Chechen has faced much more adversity than you'll ever know in your entire life. MMA writer Karim Zidane, himself a Muslim, has gotten closer to the guarded world of Chechen MMA than any other outsider. Face to face. I don't think there's anybody who can look a Chechen in the eye and say they have less fear. To think that a prize fight regulated <laughs> with rule sets is ever going to scare them, especially when there are gloves on and no weapons involved, it's a walk in the park. Kadyrov's lightweight champion, Kusein Kaliev, spent his childhood here, dodging bombs and bullets. You were six, seven, eight years old. What did you see go on here? I saw the bombings. I saw dead bodies on the ground, and all the buildings around here were completely destroyed, and there wasn't a single apartment that wasn't hit by a rocket. Kaliev ended up, like so many, scavenging in a tent city and surviving on food rations, some of which he traded to learn to fight. When I'm preparing for a fight, I tell myself, 
My opponents haven't seen what I've seen. I was made tough by war. I think no matter how hard they try, they won't get that tough. Kaliev, very good movement. Kaliev is now not just a star at home, but a top international contender. Three other Akhmat stars have already reached the pinnacle of elite MMA, signed to UFC contracts. Kadyrov says that his fighters will soon prove superior to those in the UFC. And in our interview, he dared the UFC to accept a challenge. We propose that UFC and Ahmad face off in a tournament. And we'll see who has the strongest fighters. I think it would be quite a spectacle. They would fight to the end, a fight to the death. Akhmat Sila, or Akhmat Power, it's the war cry of Kadyrov's fight club. Legions of Chechen youth are rushing to join, and Kadyrov has even featured his own young sons in the public spectacle. 5,000 Chechen men and boys signed up to a fight club in just two years. How should we understand that? Thousands and thousands and thousands of very highly trained, motivated, dedicated, and loyal fighters willing to die for him. All of this serves one key purpose, legitimizing and cementing Kadyrov's claim to the rule in Chechnya. Political leaders have long used sports to glorify themselves and their governments. But Kadyrov is doing something new, using sport to fuel his regime with military manpower. If they don't all become professional athletes, a lot of them could end up in SWAT units, could end up in the Tarek Special Forces, the Commandos. You've sort of not only left with an MMA promotion, but now a farming system for his military, his own private army. Kadyrov's fight club and military already work hand in glove, as was on full display inside the Coliseum. The president of Akhmat Fight Club also leads the Chechen commando forces. And then there's Bislan Ushikov, who holds the Akhmat welterweight title and simultaneously serves in Kadyrov's special forces. When he enters the cage, he says he's serving the same master. Okay. As long as my heart beats and I have the willpower, I swear to Allah, I'll do everything I can to help my club and not let down the head of the Chechen Republic. Fighting for your country? Of course, and I always will. Ushakov won the fight of the night, a gold trophy and a check for $17,000. But for him, the real prize came next. After the fight, the happiest moment is when you go head held high and hug our older brother, Ramzan Akhmadovich. He is the blueprint for what Kadyrov wants all of Chechens to be. The perfect embodiment of a Chechen fighter. Because he's an active duty soldier. Because he's an active duty soldier who is also a champion. He is literally fulfilling everything Kadyrov could possibly request of him. So what you're witnessing is propaganda at the most really magnificent and strategic sports level. I don't mean that in a good way. Quite, quite the opposite. It's very, very sinister here. Kadyrov's fight club also helps him take his story in his own hands, literally, 
streaming his strongman antics on social media. Akmar MMA is often at the center of it. His Instagram feed regularly shows himself and his fighters as he wants all Chechens to be fit, faithful, and ferocious in battle. He also brings some of the biggest stars in the fight game to Grozny, including Mike Tyson, Floyd Mayweather, and then UFC heavyweight champ Fabricio Verdun. But while promoting the strong through the virtues of fighting, Kadyrov has been equally committed to purging from his republic those he deems weak. If fighting is the highest value of the society, then being gay makes you, what? Less than human to them. That's what Kadyrov wants. He wants to be able to say, look, we are not a weak people. We do not have these weird deviants here. So that's what he did. He conducted a purge. In April, Elena Miloshina broke a new story on human rights in Chechnya, one never meant to be part of Kadyrov's self-styled narrative, that the regime was allegedly kidnapping, torturing, and even killing gay men. They talked to victims, many victims, and uh, they all said this, that it was well organized from the state. And the only goal of this campaign was to make Chechnya free of gays. Gay-free land. Dozens of gay Chechen men have fled their republic and taken shelter in safe houses across Russia through a kind of underground railroad rescue operation. We were provided this address and access to two of the men who wanted to tell their stories. Terrified of being identified by Kadyrov's agents, two men we'll call Sasha and Arnie agreed to go on camera if we hid their faces and the fresh wounds from the torture they say they bore. How homophobic is Chechnya? If someone finds out you're a homosexual, it can lead to physical violence. You live a life where you measure every step. It's like a safe under seven locks. Sasha says a few months ago, he was thrown into a secret prison with 15 other gay men and tortured. They connected pliers to my genitals and then electrocuted me. They wanted me to confess that I was gay and also inform about others. I was taken and held for three days. They brought me back home in a sack and threw me into the yard and said, here's your son, he's gay. Can you describe your injuries? My brain was damaged. The doctor told me that I was half an hour from dying. I wanted to ask you about the alleged roundup, abduction and, and torture of, of gay men in the Republic. Um, what, Mr. President, do you want to, to say about that? <laughs> now we know one, why he came here and what he's getting at with these questions. This is nonsense. We don't have such people here. We don't have any gays. If there are any, take them to Canada. Praise be to God. Take them far away from us to purify our blood. If there are any here, take them. But do you not get concerned when you read these accounts of young men who say they've been tortured for days and delivered to their families in sacks? Does it concern you as a matter of law and order in the Republic when you hear these stories? They made it up. They are devils. They are for sale. They are subhuman. 
God damn them for slandering us. Kadyrov says that since there are no gay people in Chechnya, they can't purge what doesn't exist. Instead, he says the stories are being made up by human rights organizations looking for money and non-Chechens in Moscow looking for asylum in the West. It's our despicable human rights advocates who are for sale and who mislead the American authorities for money. A great number of people will be sent from Moscow, allegedly because Kadyrov is persecuting them. They will go to Europe and make money there. Sasha says he was ultimately forced to flee Chechnya after the regime enlisted his own family in the purge. Everybody's relatives were brought into the prison and seated in one of the biggest rooms. Then they brought us in and started humiliating us. What, what did they say? That we are the shame of the nation, that nothing but death can correct us. And who conducted that assembly? Magomed Daudov is the head of the Chechen parliament, the republic's top lawmaker, and one of Kadyrov's closest allies. But everyone here knows him by the nickname he used years ago as a rebel militant, Lord. Do you believe that Lord was suggesting that, uh, that your families uh, commit violence against you, even take your lives? Yes. They decided to let the relatives finish the mission for the sake of justice. Did uh, anyone in your family threaten to do that, Sasha? In our republic, nobody threatens. They just kill. So-called honor killings by family members are illegal across Russia, including in Chechnya. But in our interview, Kadyrov made it clear he would condone the custom if applied against gay men. If we have such people here, I'm telling you officially, their relatives won't let them be because our faith, our mentality, customs and traditions. Even if it's punishable under the law, we would still condone it. As news of the alleged gay purge spread, the regime rallied thousands to Grozny's main mosque and suggested Elena Malashina and her paper, Novaya Gazeta, should pay a dear price for publishing the stories. They announced that the Novaya Gazeta, who doing these stories should be prosecuted and the threat of this persecution, the possibility of this persecution will be forever. It's announced forever. This is jihad. So you, um, as we sit here today, are, are living in hiding? Yes. And now I live in another country um, to continue my work, mainly on Chechnya. You haven't stopped. I have too much information. This information can save people's lives. But Kadyrov's alleged human rights abuses could chill the market for his fighters. Grozny, Russia! Just as the purge was underway, Kadyrov's MMA aspirations saw an important milestone. The first of his prized Chechen fighters was battling inside the UFC cage in the U.S. 
The gay purge happened the exact same week that Magomed Biblatov debuted at UFC 210 in Buffalo. If anything, Ramzan Kadyrov was hoping that this would serve as a distraction. So while his fighters are winning in the cage, his agents are committing another kind of violence. Entirely. And he's doing them both simultaneously. Western governments, however, have begun to speak out against Kadyrov's actions. But the criticism from the West has only made Kadyrov more belligerent, especially towards the U.S. His closing comments to us were fighting words, words of a fighter through and through, with chilling implications well beyond the realm of sport. America is carrying out policies against Russia and its leadership. They know I'm among those ready to give my life for Russia and that I have a good army capable of attacking and defending. We'll see who comes out on top. Do you regard the United States as an enemy of your country? America is not really a strong enough state for us to regard it as an enemy of Russia. We have a strong government and we are a nuclear superpower. Even if they completely destroy our government, our nuclear missiles will launch automatically. We will turn the whole world over to screw it from behind. I am now joined by Kareem Zidane, whose voice you heard in that 2017 report and has been closely following the story of Ahmad MMA for years. Kareem, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, Max, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since that, uh, since that show aired, so it's, it's great to be back talking about this again. So you told HBO back in 2017 that Ahmad MMA was meant to legitimize and cement Kadyrov's claim to rule in Chechnya. How has the club continued to serve that purpose in the last number of years since the gay purge was carried out? Oh, I'd say it's only become more significant and more impactful in the past few years. Really, the, when, when, when the documentary was done, when the HBO Real Sports episode aired, Kadyrov's Fight Club was in its infancy, right? These were the first few years at this point. It was the first crop of fighters the first generation, let's say. Now we're in, you know, the second and third generation. There are far more established fighters, far more significant fighters, and they're performing better on an international stage. So just from the idea that it's attempting to cement sort of Kadyrov's image, well, the fighters that represent him now are more impactful. So that's just easily one of the steps, one of the many reasons why. So we have just so happened to enter a war this year as well. So Russia invaded Ukraine. And therefore, Kadyrov has also managed to use his fight club in multiple ways here as well to continue to cement that sort of image of authority and of masculinity. So let's dive into the war first. How significant a role has Chechnya played in this war in Ukraine to date? Chechnya has played two separate roles in the war, in my opinion. First, it has played the sort of role of, you know, contributing soldiers to the actual physical war effort. And Chechnya has contributed soldiers, both volunteer soldiers and members of Kadyrov's militia and actual soldiers that are part of the Russian army in its various forms. But I think the far more significant uh, effect that Chechnya has played in this war is sort of the propaganda and the image that has been presented. When the war first started, Kadyrov released tons of footage and videos of, you know, showing massive rallies of troops, armed dressed and, you know, the big bulky size looking Chechen soldiers, that sort of fearsome look. 
And he was hoping to sort of export that image to Ukraine and to have them be terrified of him at the time. That was really the intention there. It was clear fear-mongering and fear propaganda that was being released. And you have to understand, Kadyrov has used his forces, his militia, his, his soldiers, in the past few years, long before this war in Ukraine. First, they were fighting in the separatist war, whatever you want to refer it as, from 2014 in Ukraine as well, in Crimea as well. And they were also fighting long before that in Syria. So they've been present in multiple areas. The intention was for Kadyrov to have people believe, look, you know what, I'm sending in my troops. We're not like the rest of the Russian soldiers. We're big, we're ready, we're better equipped, and we're here to commit horrific war crimes. Now, war crimes were absolutely committed, but the idea for Kadyrov here was to present this image of propaganda. So I'd say he's one of those key allies for Vladimir Putin in this war. I realize dictators like Kadyrov do as they please, but given the very unique, strained military history between Russia and Chechnya, has Kadyrov's call to arms in this conflict been polarizing for the people of Chechnya? Oh, I would absolutely say so. Now, that's a fantastic question, Max, actually, because Chechnya, in the last few years, really since the HBO Real Sports episode aired five years ago, there have been some serious changes, especially to do with social media, with the rise of alternative social media applications such as Telegram, there have been Chechen dissidents that have been gathering in groups and actually voicing their opinions. One really popular group is called One Adat. And this has, you know, 40,000 dissidents connected to it, posting, you know, pieces of information. I saw this happen in my village. Kadyrov soldiers came into this here. So it's a way of networking, passing on information, and actually telling the world how they feel about a lot of things. They've been very active since the war occurred. They've been very active in stating both the hypocrisy of Kadyrov joining the war, sort of the betrayal to the nature and to the identity of Chechnya that Kadyrov would willingly submit to Putin. But that's that's the whole dichotomy of this whole thing, isn't it? Kadyrov's father basically turned on Chechnya and joined Putin. And that's really how we started this Kadyrov dynasty in Chechnya. He basically turned his back on his country and its history, willingly submitting to this Russian empire that's being formed under Putin. And so Kadyrov is just continuing the same thing. But it has to be made clear that the Chechen people and a, a significant amount of them, the ones who haven't truly given in or are you know, somehow uh, benefiting from Kadyrov's regime, they are not on the side of this. Since the war began, Kadyrov has uh, posted on social media alongside some of his MMA fighters. Why in the fog of war is there still such an apparent fixation on his part to make sure that these combat athletes are the ones flanking him in public? Well, just like any sort of dictatorship around the world tends to lean on its top celebrities, these combat sports athletes happen to be the top celebrities in Chechnya. They are legitimately the A-listers. Like when you see a Hamza Chemayev, who's currently one of the UFC's top fighters, if you see him in Chechnya, that's the kind of person they're going to rally around. People legitimately want to see him. They see him as a legitimate like top-tier star, bona fide star here. So that's really why he's still leading on them. These are significant people. And when he gets to present ones like Beslan Ushikov, who's actually in the uh, in the Real Sports episode as well, well, this is what exactly what he wants to do. He wants to valorize these fighters right now because he's telling, he's subliminally telling his people, well, look, this is the ideal Chechen man right here. The man who can not only defend, uh, you know, defend me on the battlefield, but he'll also defend Chechnya uh, in in combat internationally in, in the world of sports. That's his ideal Chechen right there. So, of course, he's going to valorize these human beings, even in the fog of war. Actually, especially in the fog of war, Kadyrov's biggest role right now, I mean, he's useless. He's not going into combat himself. He's overweight. He's pretty much useless at, 
the vast majority of the things he expects of most other Chechens to add to the irony of all of this. But what is he really good at? He's really good at pushing propaganda and pushing his videos. So he's going to take advantage of every little tool at his disposal right now. Kadyrov spoke very plainly to HBO five years ago about his desire to dominate the world of MMA. You mentioned this a bit at the outset, but describe how the club has grown and its size and stature in the sport today. Well, let's begin physically. The club has grown physically. It's a bigger space now. And it's also franchised out. We're franchised in a very, very light sense of the word here. He still controls all these entities, but they've expanded, let's say. They've expanded outside of Russia, even along Russia and outside of Russia into the neighboring states as well. So there has been physical expansion. First of all, there are more fighters and more potential athletes joining up. He's expanded beyond it being an MMA club. He's made it a boxing club. He's added kickboxing to the mix. Uh, He's really just turning this into his actual overall sports empire with combat sports, of course, being at the core and the very center of it all. That's the key element here. Then there's the element of the fact we got uh, more fighters now. With, With this influx of fighters, you've got more representatives in the UFC because the UFC certainly has not distanced itself from Kadyrov in any way. Uh, shape or form. So you've got better performing athletes in the UFC as well. So much so that it actually drew the attention of the United States of America. And they ended up sanctioning in 2010, they sanctioned Kadyrov's fight club. It provided Kadyrov with pride and profit. Those were the specific reasons. He was able to get financial incentives from it. And it was actually a great propaganda display for him abroad, a form of sports washing to say the least. So the club has actually been sanctioned since 2020. But here's why I say that Kadyrov has been able to cement his gym is because it really hasn't changed anything. For a little while, there was concern that this would be the end for Kadyrov's fight club. But he still has fighters representing him in all the major organizations around the world, including the UFC. So how is it that the UFC has continued its business relationship in light of the sanctions? I mean, I did a piece for the New York Times just a couple of months ago trying to answer this exact question. How can the UFC, one of its biggest stars, so openly hang out with Ramzan Kadyrov? And how is this not an issue despite the sanctions at hand? We really were not able to come to a full-on answer. First, it's depending on how you define a U.S. person and whether his fighters who aren't U.S. citizens and who are fighting technically as independent contractors and individuals on their own, whether the fact that they simply represent the club counts as an actual violation between the UFC and Ramzan Kadyrov, a financial violation on top of that. We simply do not have enough data when it comes to the financial uh, going goings on between the UFC and Ahmed MMA. We don't have enough information even when it comes to fighter contracts as well. So there's a lot of missing points here that we need to fill in to be able to determine whether they're in violation. How many Ahmad MMA fighters or even Kadyrov adjacent fighters are part of the UFC orbit today? I'd say we have about six or seven fighters because they do tend to release fighters and bring them on every so often. So we're dealing with six or seven fighters right now out of a list of maybe 400 fighters. So the percentage is low, but here's the kicker. You've got two of those fighters who could be potential champions. We could be looking at UFC champions who are aligned with a murderous tyrant in Ramzan Kadyrov. First of all, you've got Hamza Chimaev, who's considered to be one of the top rising stars in the whole UFC. He's, one, he's going to be one of their big money makers. That's a Kadyrov Alliance fighter. So it doesn't matter if you had 30 or 40 other fighters who nobody was ever going to know their name. 
it just so happens that one of the UFC's biggest stars right now is Kadyrov's favorite fighter. <laughs> that in its own, that, that's, that's, the, that's the key point right here. I mean, they have another one, but most people don't know his name. It's Magomed Ankalaev. He's a light heavyweight fighter, and he's slowly inching his way to a title shot. And you know what? He might actually win it too. But Kamzat Chimaev is the big one. All you need is one big star. And this is what Kadyrov's been dreaming of. He's been waiting for a star of this magnitude. Well, the UFC, for its part, Kareem, has said they don't have any contractual relationship with Kadyrov or any sanctioned entity. They say the fighters are independent contractors and that they're in compliance with all laws and regulations. But let's move on. It's been five years since we first covered this subject. Looking five years further down the road, what do you envision for the future of Ahmad MMA and its significance in Kadyrov's larger pursuit of power? Oh, you know, that's that's a difficult question for, for a couple of reasons, because we've got the variable of the war and we don't really know where that's going to take us. So it, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way where we come out of this war where Kadyrov is aligned with a lot more power and so is Russia. And that's not going to look good for anything. The future won't be bright in any way. But there's a, there's a way where we come out of this where Kadyrov looks quite weak. I mean, the Chechens haven't been doing very well in Russia as well during the war. They have suffered a lot of losses. His own people aren't very happy with him. So we, are, we could be heading towards a crossroads. And either way is going to be very possible. And a likely outcome is possible in both scenarios that I find. It all just depends on the variables and how they fall. But I do believe that, say, things remain constant. Let's just say that. If things remain constant, I think we're looking at continued expansion for Ahmed MMA. The only thing that can stand in the way of Kadyrov continuing to sort of reap the benefits of these sports washing uh, strategies that he's implementing right here is for the U.S. government to intervene significantly. You can see that I'm a bit frustrated here. I'm also a bit jaded when it comes to covering Kadyrov because truly I wish that after all these years, it's been seven years of this reporting right now, and I truly wish that after all these years, I'd have something positive to come out of this with. Sure, more people recognize him. More people are aware of the dangers that, that, uh, that come with Ramzan Kadyrov. But at the same time, he just seems to continue to be like Teflon, evade any consequences and continues to grow. And that's terrifying. That brings me to an interesting last question for you, Kareem, which is uh, we heard extensively and in vivid detail in that story about how for some who have dared to question Kadyrov or report on his wrongdoing, they've had to live in fear. You have been reporting these stories intensively for years. What's been the impact on you, your safety, your security and your life? I have definitely uh, faced uh, the, the death threats. I have, uh, and they're not fun. <laughs> let's, let's say that, to put it lightly. But I can't stress this enough. The journalists that were operating from Russia or from Chechnya, the dissidents operating from there, they're the ones who are really facing the Kadyrov's wrath. They're the ones truly facing it. I might have got to sting here or there. And the most that I have to do right now is completely, you know, stop geolocating myself on social media. People generally don't know where I live or where I'm located or where I'm based for whatever amount of time I'm in. And that's just had to become a part of life. But I really do have to stress that the people who are truly targeted by Kadyrov, he takes particular offense from Chechens targeting him. He doesn't want to hear Chechens, people like him, complaining about Chechnya. Those are his primary targets, and we don't hear from them enough, unfortunately. Well, Kareem, it's such a fascinating subject matter. I really appreciate you coming on to discuss it with us further. And uh, yes, please stay safe out there. Thank you so much, Max. Really, it was a pleasure to come on and to, to talk about this. Can't believe it's been five years. And that'll do it for today's Real Sports podcast. Check out the premiere of the next Real Sports on July 19th. We'll be back with a new podcast next month. 
And a quick reminder to everyone listening, you can watch all recent episodes of Real Sports with Brian Gumble on HBO Max. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next time. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Ah! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.